You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for joining us online. We, we miss you. It is so our desire to be back together again sometime soon. And we're so thankful for, for you, the church, pressing in in these really strange times, continuing to be faithful, to gather as God's people through the way that we have afforded to us um, right now. Now, this is the first Sunday of 2001, uh, 2001, feels like it, 2021. And typically this is a day filled with vision and goals. But I wanna be honest with you this morning, the challenge of casting vision for a year like this one, especially in light of the year that we've just had, is that setting goals and making plans, it all seems sort of silly. It just seems kind of silly. And really, one of the things that I was able to sort of count on last year was that as soon as a good plan was set in motion, something else was coming along to squash it. And so what we naturally tend to do in order to reduce our disappointment and to guard ourselves from the pain of letdown is that we begin to give up on dreaming entirely. We think things like, well, if I don't set goals and if I don't make meaningful plans, then I'm not gonna be let down when they don't happen. And so in this sort of cynical way, we set the bar lower and lower and lower, thinking that we can beat failure to the punch by not really attempting anything. But this approach to life and this approach to corporate life as a church severely stunts growth and development and makes us really fearful of change and leaves us sort of stuck in unhealthy patterns and in the long run causes us to simply settle for playing it safe. And so this morning, what we see is that the scriptures present us with something much more hopeful, a much more hopeful outlook on our year. And what it gives to us is a vision of progress, a vision of progress in all of seasons. And we see this here in verse six, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
So make progress in him. So press on through Jesus. In the face of obstacles, in the face of setbacks and restrictions, and even blatant attack upon God's people, we, as children of God, we as the church, can and will progress. So here's the deal. Today, we are planning for progress in 2021. Regardless of our experience this last year, we, as God's people, are planning for progress. Now, now our year begins like this portion of Colossians 2 begins with the Apostle Paul saying, I want you to know, you have to know, church, how great a struggle I have for you. There is a certain sense of agony and wrestle that is involved in ministering in seasons of separation when we are absent in body like we are right now. Pastorally, I and the rest of the leaders of this church can associate with this agony that Paul is Describing, it is a struggle. I mean, it is just a struggle to try to foster courage and love and unity and assurance in the church when there's such significant distance between us and, and pressures upon us. Now, for Paul, he couldn't be present with the church because, well, the Bible tells us that he was in prison because of his faith. That was the reason for him being absent in the body. He is in prison, and he's writing from prison. Now, there, were very real, there, was, there was a very real obstacle of distance between them. But it's worth noting, and you'll see this as you read through the letters, the epistles, is that you never really seem to find Paul complaining about all the ways that he's restricted. What you seem to find Paul doing is focusing on all the ways that the gospel is making progress despite the setbacks. He's constantly saying things like, I'm restricted, but the gospel is not. I am hindered, but God is unhindered. I'm in this situation, but guess what? It hinges on what God is doing in the world. God being unleashed into this world. I'm restricted, the gospel is not. But also, there's the very real obstacle of deceit. There's distance and there's also deceit. In his absence, False teaching was beginning to come into the church. This is what we tend to see in seasons like this. In the absence of embodied ministry together, it creates a void. We are experiencing a very real void between us right now. And it's a void that then falsehood and false teaching and deceit will typically seek to fill. And similar to what we hear and we read You know, today we're bombarded by these messages online. There was, in the first century, a number of these sort of pseudo-Christian teachings and philosophies that tried to supplement the teachings of Jesus and really found their opportunity in places where Paul couldn't get back to. And it's what's been called Christianity and. Christianity and this. Christianity and that. Essentially attempting to add to what is already complete in the message of Jesus. So, I want us to begin the year being reminded of what Paul is essentially saying here, and it's this. All that you have in Christ is all that you will ever need. And in that sense, because of Jesus, you are set. Going into this year, you are set. Going into this year, You are complete. 
Quit buying the lie that you need more than what you already have in Jesus. Quit buying the lie that you need to become more than what you've already become in union with Jesus. Paul tells us all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. True growth is growth in godliness. We're told that progress is continuing in the same gospel that saved us. True stability is standing firm in our faith in Christ. True assurance, especially in the face of an uncertain year ahead, is based on the hope that we have in the crucified, risen, and returning Jesus. Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's love and his power and his riches, we're told here, has flooded our lives. We're told in verse 10, you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him. As one translation reads, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. That is the truest thing about you going into this year. In Christ, you are full. In Christ, you are complete. Reality, we do not go into this year lacking. We who have trusted in Christ go into this year full. And what this then means is that vision and casting vision and seeking vision is imagining a future that is based on the very real possibilities of this fullness, which is already ours. Vision is envisioning these steps forward in progress toward experiencing the fullness of Jesus and then seeing all that he is within us beginning to overflow and abound into the lives of the people around us, sharing and spreading this grace that we've received in Jesus, uh, inviting others to come experience the fullness that we have in Jesus. Now, so much of 2020 was about responding to the moment. I kid you not, we could have spent 52 Sundays responding to 52 distinct current events last year. There were so many things happening, so many things coming at us, so many questions about, was the church gonna respond to this? And what's the church's statement on this? And how's the church gonna respond? How are we gonna respond? And what are we gonna do? And what are we gonna do? There is a time and a place where we speak into our cultural moment. There is the necessity to respond to what is going in on in our world, but more importantly, it is our objective, it is our goal to be moving forward and focused on the timeless gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today I'm inviting us to change gears, to not be a response-driven people, but a vision-driven people. And for us to explore together today how we can plan to progress in a year like 2021. Now, thank God, I, nor any of our other leaders, have to cleverly craft the answer to that. Colossians 2 spells it out very plainly for us. A plan to progress involves being, one, rooted, two, built up, three, established, and then finally, abounding. Now, I would recommend that you, you take notes for this because in Habakkuk, we're told, you know, it says, God tells Habakkuk, take the vision and write it down, make it clear so that those who run with it can run with clarity. And so this is the vision we're gonna be pressing into this year. We're gonna look at being rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Let's look first at being rooted. Now, in the 1940s, in the early, uh, late 40s, early 50s, 
a, a young man named Jack Kerouac headed out on the road and took an adventure that was marked by sex, drugs, and jazz in an attempt to discover himself. And later on, while on this drug binge, he sat down with one continuous scroll of paper and penned out a novel that became a best-selling novel called On the Road. And in a way, what he did was shape entire generations, multiple generations, and created a narrative that essentially says this, in order to find yourself, you gotta go somewhere. The real you, the you that you're longing to be is somewhere out there on the road to discover. The life that you've been looking for is off in the distance. And historically, countless Americans have been living in to this narrative. And this idea has actually helped shape the transient culture that we experience today, where people don't stay in one place anymore, where we're relentlessly moving about. And as a result, I think very few people can with honesty say, I feel stable in my life. I feel present. I feel rooted. But what we find in the scriptures is a very different story of progress, of forward movement in life, one that is going to contradict the cultural value of always uprooting and moving on to the next. It gives us something very different, different, and it's this. It's a vision of flourishing where we are planted. This is a novel idea, I know. You grow where you are planted. And so moving forward in life is found, we're told, by putting roots down putting roots down into Jesus, putting roots down into, therefore, the church community, his body, putting roots down into our relationships, putting roots down into our city and into the places of vulnerability and need. Now, this word here for rooted that we see in verse 7 indicates a once and for all planting. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we, we are then united with him. We are planted in Jesus. We are abiding in him. And so in one sense, it's a once and for all thing. But the Bible, the Bible also shows us that the way that we grow, like a tree, is by causing our roots to go down further into him. We've been planted, but now we are extending this vast system of roots down into the soil of Jesus. We don't settle for a past experience of faith. I, I responded at 10 years old to a, a, an altar call at a church camp. That was me being planted. No, we don't lean on past experiences of faith. We continue to put our roots down into Jesus, growing in him. We see something similar to this in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, where it says this, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a brush in the wastelands, like a tumbleweed. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. And listen to these words. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. 
It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is God's vision for our lives. These, these roots continuing to extend towards the stream of life. Reality, a plan to flourish this year is a determination to remain rooted, a determination to, to be involved in the below-the-surface, often overlooked, hidden work of growing strong in God, stretching and straining towards the grace of God that is available to us in the Word of God, in prayer, in worship, in gathering, in, in spiritual disciplines, and in the sacraments. And so what I want to do is I want to urge you, we're going to get kind of brass tacks here, I want to urge you this year to make a clear plan to remain rooted. Because what we see here is even in a drought, there is water available. God is providing water and life to you no matter where you are. Make a plan and a resolution to press in and to strain towards this. And so here's some ways that you can do this. One is pick a Bible reading plan. There are a million plans out there that are available to read through the Bible aggressively so you can make it through a year or maybe a little bit slower, like reading through the New Testament in a year. Those plans are available out there. I would recommend the app Dwell is also available for these sort of things. So pick a Bible reading plan. Set a goal for reading theology. We, if you are the average person or even below the average person, we are spending hours on entertainment a day. We are not too busy to grow in Christ and to grow in our grasp of theology. So I want to encourage you to dip into areas of theology. We have books available through the church. We're constantly making book recommendations. We've in the past done our book of the month handout. So get in on that. Um, Continue to gather online. This is strange. This is not ideal, but this is what God is providing for us in the meantime. So continue to commit to gathering online every week until we're back present. And then additionally, commit to joining and following through in a Bible study small group. There, there is water. There is a stream available to you. Your call is to strain and stretch your roots towards that water of God's grace. First, plan to progress is a plan to be rooted. Secondly, a plan to progress involves being built up, being built up. Now, one of the more frequent ways that the Bible is described in the New Testament is that of a building. The church is a building. Peter would say that we are these living stones that are being joined together and built on top of each other, ultimately built on the foundation and the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We are being built up. And what this means is that ongoing growth is God's plan for our lives and our church. What is God's will for my life? Well, I can't answer that specifically for you, but what I can say is that God's plan for your life and for my life and for the life of the church is to grow to grow in our knowledge of him, to grow in maturity, to grow in wisdom, to grow in our trust, to grow in dependence on him. And one of the primary responsibilities of the church is to seek to be built up, we're told here. And so we are builders. In that sense that we're seeking to grow and build others up and pour our lives into the life of the church and reach out to extend the reach of the church to the lives of others, essentially, we are disciple makers, and we are joining Jesus in the renewal of people and places. But 
what we see here is, is very particular language. We are called to be built up. And it's being communicated here in the passive voice, being built up. Which means rather than this being all about what we do for God and what we do for other people or the church, this is ultimately about what God is doing for us, in us, and through us, being built up. The tricky thing here is that we are called to be builders. And elsewhere, we are called to build one another up. We encourage one another. We exhort one another to press on towards Christ. We are builders in that sense, but ultimately what we need to remember is what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, Jesus says, build my church. And so we are apprentices. Jesus is the builder. We are apprentices. Yes, we are welcomed into the work. Yes, we are on the job site. Yes, we have a hammer in hand, but ultimately it is God who is building through us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his uh, famous little book called Life Together says this, we must proclaim he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. We don't know his plan. We can't see whether he's building or pulling down. And it may be that the times which by human standards are the times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. And it may be that the times which from a human point are great times for the church are actually times when it's pulled down. It's a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, you preach, you bear witness to me and I alone will build where it pleases me. Don't meddle in what is not your providence. Do what is given to you and do it well, and you will have done enough. I, I think that this should give us so much freedom and so much confidence for us as a church reality, especially coming out of a year with, with setbacks and challenges and now moving forward into uncertainty. I, I know if, kind of looking forward was very difficult because looking back, a lot of our typical metrics to determine growth in the church were skewed. And, and it's nearly impossible to look back at 2020 and determine whether or not the church grew or declined. I couldn't even tell you. There are certain things we can point to, but we can't know for certain what has been going on this year. And yet, what we're reminded of is what is more important is that Jesus builds, even in, even in seasons where it appears like a collapse is occurring. We plant the gospel. We water through prayer and discipleship, and God will bring the growth. Jesus will build his church. Jesus is unhindered. Jesus isn't restricted. Can I get an amen from someone in the house? Okay, you guys are still here, right? Let's determine together to keep seeking his kingdom, to keep promoting growth in, in each other's life. Let's keep apprenticing Jesus and, and making ourselves available to the work of God and then rest knowing that the results are, are in his hands. Let's keep building, confident that Jesus builds his church. Now, thirdly, a plan to progress involves being established, being established. One of the major concerns that Paul has 
for the Colossians church is that they would be knit together in love and that they would stand firm in their faith. This is why he is writing to the church. He wants them united in love and standing firm in faith. And so what this does is it sheds light on what it means to be established. He's saying be established. Well, the church was already established. What do you mean? Reality Church was established in 2007, but we're still being called to be established. What does he mean? Well, the early church theologians called this the cementing work of love. And the idea is that the, the foundation of a body of Christ, the foundation of the church, constantly needs to be compacted firmly. The foundation constantly needs addressing. And this is because there's this theme that runs all throughout the New Testament that's this, that the house is only as strong and stable as the foundation. The house will stand if the foundation is firm. Now, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is probably a is kind of low-hanging fruit, actually, and probably a very uh, prime example of this. As engineers have sought to understand what has happened to this building, which was originally, you know, it began in like somewhere in the 12th century, almost a thousand-year-old building that has this long-tainted history with foundation issues. And what they've ultimately found, spoiler alert, is that there was an issue with the foundation of this building, that the mix of the sand and the uh, clay and the seashells were not properly compacted on one side. And so, so much time and so much energy and so, much, so many resources have been spent trying to counterbalance this thing and keep it, keeping it from falling over. In fact, at one point, they, they strapped lead weights to one side of the building to keep it from falling over. Year after year after year, they have to constantly readdress this issue. And I know this from experience. I know this sadly from experience. This could be the case with Christian ministry as well. And it doesn't matter what you build. It doesn't matter how beautiful the building. It doesn't matter even how iconic it is. If the foundation isn't right, it is always going to be in danger of falling. It is always going to be leaning. It is always going to consume your time trying to prop it up. And that's what we are seeing in 2020. We saw this with like, the falling of celebrity pastors, these countless stories of tragedy, these buildings that finally you know, fell. It's because it, if it's built on a person or if it's built on a personality, if it's even built on like a good endeavor like social justice or a great aim like diversity, if it is anything other than the foundation of Christ, it is gonna wanna fall over. And so Paul is saying that the foundation of faith has to be firm in the body of Christ. It has to be firm in a church. And there are going to be constant pressures and there are going to be storms beating against the, the building and there's going to be attempted undermining even. The people of God must be established in the truth of the gospel. Now, the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, was once approached by a congregant that had a complaint about his sermons. And the complaint was that all of his sermons, thousands of sermons, there's books and books and books of published sermons. And the complaint was, all of your sermons sound the same. It doesn't matter where you're preaching from. It's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Epistle, Gospel, uh, you know, apocalyptic. They all sound the same. And he says, that's the point. Good. He says, I take the text, and then I make a beeline to the cross. They all sound the same, because they're all moving in the same direction. Christ and him crucified. Christ 
and him crucified. Christ and him crucified. Progress means a constant strengthening of the foundations of faith. Every step forward in the Christian faith is actually revisiting the first things of Christ. Coming back to the same gospel, the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that grows us. We never move beyond it. We never try to fit it into what we do. We never hurry past it. It is the foundation that we keep compacting and compacting and compacting. We keep pressing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We keep pressing in that we are justified by faith. We keep pressing in that we have the righteousness of God through union with Jesus Christ, Christ and him crucified, the foundations of our faith. I'm going to be a one-trick pony with no apologies. And I hope one day one of you comes and complains that all your messages sound the same. Because every single time it's a beeline to the cross. Now the way that we are seeking to establish, to be established in the faith is through our discipleship pathway, which we are really excited to, to roll out this year. If we could pull up that projection what we're doing is we're rolling out um, essentially this, this pathway that's designed to lead you through four tracks that will take you deeper into each feature of being a disciple, being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming like Jesus. First track uh, pathway will be following, learning about Jesus, just the very basic teachings of Christianity, what it means to follow him, and then culminating in baptism. Secondly, the belonging track uh, learning about what it means to be a vital part of the body of Christ, the pillars of commitment to the church, our doctrine statement, really functioning as a member of the body of Christ, which culminates in becoming a formal member of the church. And then two more tracks that we're really excited about, a growth track for those who are desiring to continue to grow in their Christian faith, that want to go deeper and deeper into uh, theology, biblical theology, systematic theology, practical theology. And then lastly, leading for those who are called to leadership, whether it's in formal offices of leadership, like being an elder or a deacon, or maybe more informal offices of, or more informal places of leadership, like being a community group leader, a small group leader. This will be the pathway for uh, being trained and tested um, for leadership. So we will be talking about this more in the weeks and the months to come, but be looking for that. This is really what we're going to be, to, this is what we're gonna be seeking to, to seek to be established as a church. Now, I want to look finally at abounding because I've taken way too much time today. Abounding. Finally, Paul shows us that progress involves abounding. And the word picture here that we're given is that of a jug, picture a jug or a jar or a cup that is overflowing. The idea is that the work of God filling our lives with his goodness, God filling us with the life of heaven through the ministry of the Holy Spirit constantly pouring into us will result in overflowing into abundance of thanksgiving. That is the natural result of filling a cup to the brim. It overflows. And the people of God can't help but pour out the abundance of God. This is the idea behind praise. This is the idea behind serving. This is the idea behind financial giving, that we have been filled to overflowing with the fullness of God through Jesus Christ, and now we are so aware of how complete we are in him. If we're lacking praise, it's probably because we're searching for praise from other people to feel complete. And if we're lacking in service, it's probably because we're looking to be served to feel a sense of completeness. 
And if we're lacking in generosity, it's probably because we're looking to finances to complete us. But the Christian that's been filled with the abundance of God is overflowing and able to give praise and to give service and to give generously because we've been filled. And so in a year where so many are sadly beginning this year in a place of scarcity and with a scarcity mindset, I am calling you, the church, to operate out of an abundance mindset. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. An abundance mindset. Scarcity does not mark the child of God. Abundance does. And what we're told is that even in times of severe affliction, even in times, even in extreme poverty, according to the Bible, the people of God are still rich in him and still abounding in his blessings. This is what Psalm 23 teaches us to confess. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. And then going on to say, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. And so this year, we're planning for a year of abounding. I want to describe that very briefly. I think it means three things, bare minimum. First, it means abounding in gratitude. Scroll your social media feed, go online, listen to the conversations around you. The public conversation, public discourse is filled with groaning and grumbling and complaining and disputing and division and gloom. It is dark. And we are being called to something different. We are being called to fill the public discourse with gratitude for our speech and our demeanors to be marked by thankfulness. And look, I get it. 2020 has been a year of loss and tragedy. Some people have suffered more than they ever have in their lifetime in this last year. And it's right and it's healthy to process that loss and to grieve. The Bible leads us to grieve. But instead of clinging to our grief, going into this year clinging to our grief, we have to release it to God. Because in Psalm 126, it says that those who sow in tears, not cling to tears, sow their tears, will reap with shouts of joy. And so the pattern is when we come to God and we give him our grief, he exchanges it with joy. He exchanges it with praise. He exchanges it with gratitude. Secondly, this means abounding in generosity. In 2 Corinthians 9, 12, the apostle Paul says that financial giving is one of the important ways that we express overflowing thankfulness to God. How do we say thank you, God? Well, we say thank you, God. That's a really simple way to do it. But practically, the way that we say thank you, God, is through giving generous, generously to others. And now despite all the many voices that have been warning us about the financial crisis that's gonna hit the church because of the last year, it's my joy to report that last year, Reality Church Stockton finished stronger financially than we ever have in the past. We exceeded every, any and every expectation for this last year in a way that frees us up to now go into this new year with fresh goals and vision for discipleship and people's lives being transformed. And so this year, I simply just want to encourage you to continue, to continue to abound, to, to continue to abound in generosity. One way that we can do this is to never settle for a certain measure of generosity. When, when we look at the Bible, it talks about this, this sort of baseline of tithing, which is 10%. But I think for the child of God, we're called to something more. 
We're called to abounding. So with something I want to challenge you with, something I've been challenged with, uh, particularly by a pastor in Southern California, is to incrementally increase our generosity year over year over year. There's a pastor in Southern California that he and his wife, when they first got married, said that we're going to give 10%, and then every single year we're going to increase that 1%, 1%, 1%, until a certain point we are living on a minority of our income rather than the majority of our income. I don't know what that looks for you, how that looks for you, but what I do know is that God has called us to a life of abounding. So let's continue to abound in generosity as we support the local mission of the church here through reality, but also as we give to Mercy Ministries, we support ministries here in the city of Stockton, like Showered with Love and other ministries. And as well, we have partnered with Compassion International to support church plants and church ministry in the country of Haiti. Finally, and then I'm done. Abounding means abounding in grace. Abounding in grace. When the kingdom of God draws near, something strange happens. We're told in Romans that where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. And so there's this funny sort of nature to grace. Grace is always seeking to, to one-up sin. It's always seeking to hyperabound and to go further than sin. We bring a multitude of sin to God, but God brings more grace than is sufficient. God's grace abounds to us. And so the challenge to us as the church is that we live in a cancel culture. Someone makes a mistake and we are so ready to jump on them and to cancel their lives forever. Let's replace cancel culture with a grace culture. Not where sin abounds, cancellation abounds all the more, but where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more because God has been gracious to us. Let's extend grace to one another, amen?